Hello, welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Hello there, my fellow nerd. Reese Hendrick here, host of Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. We're wrapping up Star Wars Month with a look at the Andor series with guest comedian Ross Pasek. This is the May. I'm coming back from a brief mental health hiatus. After 78 weeks in a row of releasing Science Factual episodes, I was very much in need of a break. The quality of the show was suffering, and the 10 hours minimum of work I put in every week was starting to catch up with other life obligations. And in order to maintain the quality standard of the show, whatever that may be, I found it necessary to restructure the science factual schedule. That unfortunately means that I will be stepping away from Shady Pines Radio and will only be releasing two episodes per month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts moving forward. Through the end of the year, I will have one decade dive per month and one standalone subject, still with Portland comedians and with all the juicy facts and tidbits that tickle that nerd ganglia. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Brian and Callie Bauer, as well as all of the great folks who make Shady Pines Radio amazing and a great place to have called home for the last 18 months. I had a blast getting to know my Piney family and will always feel welcome at events, like the second annual Shady Pines Festival taking place at Red Mud Ranch in Oregon City this July from the 13th through the 16th. Visit ShadyPinesRadio.com for more details or to just hang out and listen to amazing content from the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now, before we shift gears into the Andor series, you know I have to issue out a system-wide spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Guest comedian Ross Pasek and I met up to get into this awesome series, and get into it we do, so consider yourself spoiled by this alert. Alrighty, just in case you've only seen Andor in passing or have it on your watch list, here's a quick overview of the series creation and backdrop. We'll get into the facts behind the series after the interview with Ross. And what do you sacrifice? Calm. Kindness, kinship. Love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or, or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! Star Wars Andor is an American science fiction action-adventure limited series created by Tony Gilroy for the streaming service Disney+. It is the fourth live-action series in the Star Wars franchise, as well as a prequel to both the spin-off film Rogue One from 2016 and the original Star Wars films that started in 1977. Beginning five years before the events of Rogue One and A New Hope, the series follows an ensemble cast of characters during the time that a rebel alliance is forming in opposition to the Galactic Empire. One of these characters is Cassian Andor, a thief who becomes a revolutionary and eventually joins the Rebellion. Diego Luna reprises his role as Cassian Andor and also serves as an executive producer for the series. 
The cast also includes Kyle Soler, Adria Ariona, Fiona Shaw, Stellan Skarsgård, Denise Goh, Genevieve O'Reilly, Faye Marseille, Veranda Sethu, and Elizabeth Dulau, among others. Andor received generally positive reviews from critics, including the infallible review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes, which reported an approval rating of 96% with an average rating of 8.5 out of 10, based on roughly 600 critic reviews. Not bad. The website's critic consensus reads, quote, A gritty adventure told from the ground perspective of the Empire's reign, Andor is an exceptionally mature and political entry into the Star Wars mythos, and one of the best yet. A second season began filming in November 2022 and is expected to be completed by August of this year. Season 2, which will conclude the series and lead into the events of Rogue One, is scheduled for release in August 2024. Definitely looking forward to that. You know, I've got this weird feeling like I'm being watched, and not only by the person I pay to sit in the corner of my room and stare at me silently while I work. Sup, Dave? At any rate, here's this top-secret interview with Ross. So when I was a boy, I restored a number of cars. I started off with the 91 240SX Nissan. Those were my Tokyo drifting days. Mm -hmm. That was a fun car. Although in Los Angeles, it was a little bit of a schlep because <laughs> you just fucking stick one, two, one, yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, all fucking day. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go classic and did a 67 Mustang, purchased it off of a friend, did like a whole engine rebore got it up to 302 boss specs mm. it was a beaster and cherry red much like your yeah iron cougar 67 mercury cougar Oof. which basically it's the weird thing is, is like these are basically the exact same car yeah i mean that's true mercury and ford but the cougar has those cool lines on it the flip up headlights yes oh and uh oh i just love the back tail lights too kind of looks like a fastback mustang and as a sequential ones even for 67 Ah, uh, so much cool shit on that thing. The decade was great for cars, and the Corvette is another phenomenal, I mean, Camaro, these, it's like, yeah. so, yeah, hell yeah, I, def I definitely get it. I then switched to White Lightning, which was a 92 BMW 325i that I more totaled than restored. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one where we would, like, put the 711 Nitro in it. Oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cruising <laughs> the strip, just, like, goading Lamborghinis and Ferraris into revving. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As one does. Hot shit car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a hot shit car. I wish I had these brimmers. <laughs> that would work perfectly with a 90s BMW. Absolutely, dude. Spray-painted white rims. <laughs> white on white. God. Oh, so I was fucking rolling in L.A. That was, those were some good times. Didn't quite make it up to Portland, unfortunately. I don't know if you could in that thing. <laughs> now it's your responsibility, but... <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, folks, the voice you hear other than my own, this is Ross Pasek. What's up, Ross? Oh, nothing much, Reese. Just enjoying my day in the Portland sunshine. Yeah, finally. I know. It's but out. Beautiful. We're getting almost too hot for me to start enjoying it anymore. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> it's, it's only been a week. It's only been a week. Yeah. It's already too hot. It definitely doesn't help when you're substituting middle school PE and it's 90 degrees. Like, nobody wants to be there. No. no. Uh, if you think kids' attention spans are bad as normal. Oh, God. Yeah. Try frying their brains. And half these kids are wearing fucking like flannel pajamas to gym class. Yeah. I, I mean, they're. They're lost. They got no no hope in the world. <laughs> yeah, I opened a drawer and there were shorts in it, and I was like, "Oh, I remember these." It's time. <laughs> I started like glowing and singing to you, <laughs> Ross. Before we move on, tell me what's your Instagram? Because you you have a couple. Like, I, what's your personal Instagram? And then we're gonna talk about funny jazz. Talk. By many platforms, uh, my Instagram is at sauce underscore packet. Some fucking chump has all one word sauce packet. It's not me. Uh, to report them, please. And then on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming for you, son. No underscore. Exactly. And then my other one, like you said, is Funny Jazz Talk, which is uh, my my precious uh, jazz comedy hybrid variety show. I love it. Oh, thank you. Gets lots of love from the community and need to start filling out more seats. So we're hoping we get to grow more of an audience, but we're popping around a bunch of venues. Uh, right now we're in Funhouse Lounge every fourth Saturday at 10 p.m. So if you like jazz, you like laughing, and you like late nights on Saturday, come on out to Funhouse. 
Hell yeah. And your new addition, Mama Fee, it's now Mama Fee. That's how we're staying there. Yeah. Structured. Absolutely. She is fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. Literally a pitch perfect singer. The first time we were on stage together, I was playing the saxophone. And like without even any coordination or talking, she was just right on key. Amazing. Amazing talent. Like couldn't have added a better co-host, honestly. It's like fucking magic. And then, of course, Dylan Jones keeping it splashy. Oh, like I'm my one constant as a musician on that show, because usually we have a revolving door of piano, guitar, me on the sax, whatever. But Dylan Jones is our rock back there on the ones and twos. God, he's good. And he does comedy, too. So it's like he knows the timing of the jokes. He really gets all the nuance. And man. And he's an actor. He's a triple threat. He's a triple threat. He's a quadruple threat. He's a gaffer now, too. He's, he's into lighting. If you need a, something lit, let our guy know. That's awesome. Well, definitely check out Funny Jazz Talk on the socials and in person because it's a great show. More important in person. Yeah. Definitely check it out in person. But get your first exposure on the Funny Jazz Talk Instagram, all one word. We got plenty of videos up, clips from performers. Like, you can definitely get a sense for the show. So, dives on. Excellent. Well, speaking of exposure, how'd you get started in stand-up comedy? Ah, uh, someone exposed themselves to me. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, it was Dennis Cruz. Yeah, we're going to be honest. Uh, he was not having a more lucid day, so it wasn't aggressive. Uh, no, no. It was just a casual flashing. <laughs> he was just, you know, stoned and senile. It's okay. <laughs> no, I love Dennis, but I actually definitely started before <laughs> Dennis did. Um, I, like, maybe two years, maybe three, uh, back in 2017 was when I did my first ever open mic. Okay. Uh, which is something I drove up from. I went to school down in McMinnville. And right after I turned 21, uh, I drove up to Portland to do a mic called The the Lamp, which is no longer exists anymore. But basically, it was this uh, comics hang mic, but it was at 1030 on a Tuesday. So it was a drunk comics hang mic. <laughs> so, like, if you went there to do material, you were going to get eaten alive. And, like, I went there to do my first set ever. Uh, I didn't go up until like the very, very end. And I was so nervous. I was drinking the whole time and, uh, I got on stage pretty much like blacked out, had some joke about how I went. I, I had jokes about blacking out while I was blacking out. So like <laughs> that, I had a very meta, the mic got unplugged. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I think like, it was really just a nightmare set. And, uh, yeah, that was my first time doing comedy. Didn't go well. So I went to sleep in my truck because I had to drive an hour back and pissed myself in the back of my truck. So I drove an hour back to McMinnville with no pants on. I Winnie the Pooh down high five. And uh, after that, I was like, well, it can't get any worse than this, right? So, like, might as well keep going. And here we are. That's true. When you start at the bottom of the barrel, the only way to go is up. Oh, yeah. People fuck up by doing well their first time. It really, that's so true. Move. It's not the move. You need to suffer for a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I got booked way too early. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, like, a lack of bookings in South Florida. I, I did start, like, the day after restrictions lifted. Oh, yeah. And so people were like, yeah, let's just, you can tell Jeff, sure, let's just get people on stage. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your first exposure to jazz? Like, how'd you get into jazz? Jazz is something that kind of came into my life, uh, like more so later, but I did play saxophone from uh, first grade up to middle school. Wow. That's really early. Yeah. Yeah. They, they start you like almost immediately in my school district. It was like a pretty nice school district in Colorado, Douglas County. Okay. Um, you know, well, I didn't have rich parents, but like they definitely knew how to pick a good school district. And uh, that's important. Yeah, they got us playing saxophone. They got me playing saxophone early on. And I played that up until like in band until middle school. And then once I hit middle school, I was taking private lessons playing jazz. So that was my first like little introduction to it. And then years and years and years pass. I moved to Portland. I turn on this radio station, 89.1, KMHD. Hell yeah. Yeah, free public jazz radio, and it's the only thing that plays in my car to this day still. It is my only radio station, too. I, yeah, it's the only one I can stand. Mm -hmm. I'm part of the rhythm section. Yep, me too. Absolutely. Please donate to KMHD. Keep that shit going. It is the best radio station in mm -hmm. Portland. Whether you like jazz or not, like if you just don't want to listen to commercials and bullshit. And yeah, like, you just want chill vibes. Yeah, the songs, classics, like. Yeah, every once in a while there's the nightmare jazz on there. But, like, you know, sometimes challenging yourself is important. <laughs> uh, That's true. Getting through a little noodling, you know, yeah. it helps. Oh, you'll yeah. Just listening, you know, understand yeah. it. Like, well, yeah. it's another <laughs> notes you don't play. Ex exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, Ross, what was your first exposure to science fiction then? Science fiction, like, I mean, I, like, I don't want to classify Harry Potter as like my, like the science fiction we're talking about. It's not. It's definitely not. No, it's pure uh, fantasy. Yeah, exactly. So, like, good. That's, I wanted to draw that line there. So, science fiction. That's good. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, Star Wars. Okay. I remember I had, my dad had one of his coworkers, it doesn't matter, uh, my babysitter. <laughs> my babysitter took my sister and I to see a movie, and we didn't know what movie it was. She was like, I'll give you a hint. Ba, 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 and we're like, what the fuck is this? So we had no idea. She was just singing the theme song, but we get in there. It's Attack of the Clones and left a huge impression on me because, yeah, that big Coliseum fight, Django Fett, like all that shit. And that, that fucking, epi- I mean, obviously it's like, I don't like sand. Like, I, there there were moments like that, but I was so young, I didn't know to criticize it. So, like, episode two is my first, like, throw into the Star Wars as soon as I saw that shit. I was buying action figures. I was watching the original trilogy. I watched episode one, just like dove in. And then on top of that, too, I'd say my other big sci-fi influence would be Dune because I read that fuck yeah. Thick fucking book. I read that thing in like fifth grade and I read it again in middle school and then started reading Dune Messiah. And then I became a horny high school and stopped reading. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Dune is not conducive to fucking. No, no. I mean, it depends if you got like a, you know, like a hot theater nerd. Yeah, who wants to hear all about your sandworms, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, Paul Atreides does it for some people. Mm-hmm. The Spice will do it for us all. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely say that's, like, Star Wars is my main thing. Like, I even remember for, I think it was my 12th birthday, I had a party with all my friends together. We are going to watch episode one through six, whole thing. I was the only one at my party sitting and watching all six movies. Everyone else was like outside, you know, playing like children. <laughs> I was like, no, uh, this is why we're here. And definitely didn't have as many people my birthday next year. But yeah, it was a great time for me. Well, hey, I mean, when you get hyper nerdy, you find out who your true friends are. That's for sure. I have just look at the anime table at any middle school. Yeah. <laughs> That'll just paint a picture for you. Oh, yeah. And, you know, nerds fuck. Frank Herbert probably fucked for sure. Dennis Villeneuve. Oh, definitely fucked. And I mean, so, yeah, it's, you know, the potential is out there, kids. Don't let, you know. Yeah. Don't let some bully say the nerds don't fuck. All right. Exactly. (laughs) They sure do. So are you a nerd for context? Like, just based on what you said, like, hell yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty, like, once you get into my nut and bolts, I'm very nerdy. Very curious. I was always, like, a good student, but, like, or, like, good in school, but, like, never, like, bad at attendance. So, like, <laughs> that makes two. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, like, I'm definitely, though, like, interested in, like, sci-fi stuff like that. I love world building. Uh, I do hate Marvel, though. I'm not one of those nerds, unfortunately. Yeah, people, but I tolerate it. I watch it. I will eventually watch the most recent releases after Quantumania. But yeah, yeah I mean, I just I don't know. I like I have no desire to see Guardians three. No. And I've heard it's incredible. I, I like I heard it's like uh, Jake Cooley said it was like the best one of the Guardians so far. I can see that. That's my praise. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I just, I don't know. There's just something I'm just turned off by, like, I just know that my life will involve Marvel for the next 15 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I'm also, like, turned off by, like, just the fact that people are just so ready to just, like, suck down. It's the same thing. Like, all these movies are more or less just becoming the same thing with different skins, you know? It does feel that way. It's really get, like, it tires me out. And, like, are we watching someone dump out their toilet in their tent right now? I think so, yeah. I think so. Hey, you know, it's important to do the chores. It's a good day for it. The sun's out. It's a little breezy. Yep. Um, They're watering the plants or fertilizing them, rather. Yeah, exactly. Um, So anyway. (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful Portland day. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm a nerd for context. Like, that's why I loved Rogue One. Oh, if we're going to talk about Andor, mm-hmm. have to start with Rogue One. We have to right. talk about Rogue One a little bit. Right. Exactly, Andor's end is its beginning, but oh my God. Yeah. Right. No. Oh. It, it just peaked that nerd nerve so hard when Andor was released because, like, oh, great, more. Like, because, yes. You know, just the way that Rogue One ends with Vader standing at the exposed, oh, like, yeah. docking rate, it was oh, just like, so fucking perfect turn around into start of new hope like exactly i mean that that's how you do shit that's exactly yeah man like so that's what i loved about rogue one 
is you could tell it was written by Star Wars fans. Yes. To fit into the current Star Wars canon. Yes. And to like close up one of the biggest like plot holes, if you want to call it, in the entire franchise, i.e. like blowing up the Death Star with one missile. Like Galen. Galen. Having him on the inside intentionally engineering the exhaust port. Right. Beautiful. Like it's like poetic and awesome. And it takes like this like, yeah, cliche kind of like, oh, Star Wars, you know, whatever into this like, oh, wow, no, this is like espionage. This is like such deep story. Well, and it's not a happy ending either. No, it's definitely not a happy. It's a suicide mission. But you and so you feel the urgency at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. that you didn't like your first exposure to New Hope. You're like, oh, this is some crazy shit that's going on. But you don't feel the urgency until you get the greater context. Mm -hmm. And this provides it. So I I definitely huge shout out Rogue One. Oh, yeah. The best of the most recent like movie releases standalone because yeah, solo story was garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And like I love Donald Glover, but like his uh, Lando was like not great. Yeah. And it was Donald Glover playing Lando Calrissian. I not like the kid who played Han. I think he did a great job doing his own Han. And fair. like, I mean, it was great. Don't know. Not we needed Woody Harrelson in there. No, we didn't need Woody Harrelson. We didn't need um, the Queen of Dragons, Mother of Dragons. Uh, oh, Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, she like didn't really add anything. Like that. Also, that movie just was like poorly written. Um, but honestly, dude, I would even go as far as to say, like, Rogue One might be one of my favorite Star Wars movies, period. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And it's, again, too, like you're saying, like, you know, this is how you do it, Disney, is it's like, there's heart, there's stakes, there's, like, rapid pacing, there's no, like, like bullshit, like, broadening, like, fan service, where it's like, let's throw a cute little fucking alien creature in there. Yeah. Even the auxiliary characters, like, uh... The blind uh, force guy, like, um, oh, yeah, I'm like, what is the force with me? Um, I can't remember. His buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And then his buddy with the big fucking, yeah, Gatling gun. Oh, yeah, it is Eatmon. Yeah. Yeah. Or you play, you play, yeah. But, um, man, it's like every, everything in that movie just really adds and builds and builds. And then everything is sacrificed, too. And I just love that it wasn't this movie that was, like, looking down long-term, like, all right, in 10 years, how many spin-offs can we do? Ironically, they do do Andor. Thank God, though. Yeah. Like, like yeah, I think they made Rogue One. They're like, this wasn't supposed to be, like, a thing, but, like, holy shit, that need, we need more. Like, and I was, as a fan, wanted more. Like, I love, I even wanted more, like, Jen Erso. I think she could probably have a, have a standalone show, too. I could see that for sure. Yeah, you know, like I would love to have seen, and maybe in season two we'll see this, but some sort of weird crossover where she, like the rebellion, almost taps her or like is starting to keep tabs on her or what have you. Yeah. Because yeah, not to get into spoilies for Rogue One, because we are going to talk about Andor. Speaking of the titular character, let's talk about the sex symbol that is Diego Luna, mm. aka Cassie and Andor. Absolutely. Because all fucking day, that guy can get it. But <laughs> can you think of an of an alternate? Like, I can't think of anybody else, really, that could... You know what's funny is it's like, and it's definitely, like, me being a white guy and thinking everyone looks the same. Uh, Pedro Pascal and Diego Luna. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this question a lot because he, you know, sent it to me before. And I was like, there are so many people that could do it. It's like, it's interesting to me because right now, like, Star Wars has, like, Diego Luna, Pedro Pascal, and then, like, Oscar Isaac. They've all got, like, that olive skin, kind of just, like, you know, rough and tumble, like, look in the movies. Absolutely. But, like, Diego Luna, of those three, is, the I think, the only one that could really crush Andor. Because Pedro's too tough. And, like, Pedro's too, like, masculine. Masculine. And, like, I love that Andor, as a character, has, like, this emotional complexity, like, with being an orphan and loving, you know, his adopted mother and, like, I think Pedro is way better for like the Mandalorian because sure. it's like that, like just stoic, like force of nature. Whereas like he's a little unassuming, no. uh, Diego Luna. Yeah, uh, you know he's rappy. He fits yeah. right into that underdog role that Anna was like all about. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So it's like find an alternate. Why? Like you got the perfect guy for it, you know. But if I did have to pick, I don't know, man. Well, I can I can kind of see Timothy Oliphant in the role a little bit because his role in The Mandalorian, yeah. yeah, in and out, you know, like I can I can kind of see, and that was another kind of I, I liked that little cameo mm-hmm. role. Oh, definitely, yeah. Talk about another guy that 
could absolutely get it all day. And uh, so, yeah, we're justified. This is totally, yes. Oh, yeah. Dude, oh, oh my God. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he's plugged because yeah. of justified. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That was like a. Him in a bulletproof vest with a cowboy hat. Yes, please. Yeah, that was like yeah. my first feeling ever being like attracted to a man as like a younger kid. I was like, fuck, like. I want to be that guy or I want that guy to be in me. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, we're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into season one of Andor a little bit because uh, we, we steadily await season two. I'll start off with the synopsis of the first episode because we'll get into the favorite episodes in a minute. Because, I, I mean, like, typically it is the last episode. <laughs> you know, the culmination of things. But if there's an episode that stands out just because of, like, badassery or, like, important context or, you know, like, turning point or what have you, we'll get into it. But the season opens up five years before the Battle of Yavin, which is, imp- I, I, we, we're all, I mean, you're a Star Wars nerd, you know, familiar. We know but, the timeline. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the Battle of Yavin is, you know, that's when the Death Star mm-hmm. blows up. Yeah, the first Death Star. The first, the first Death Star, yeah. yeah, not the one that's over Endor. Mm-hmm. All right, so five, year, five years before the Battle of Yavin, Cassian Endor looks for his missing sister in the industrial planet of Morlana One. While investigating, Cassian is antagonized by two officers. An altercation ensues, leading to Cassian accidentally killing one officer and murdering the other. I don't know about the distinction. Well, I guess he like he's like, I'm already in one. Yeah, he might as well do two. Yeah. <laughs> At the planet Ferrix, he attempts to hide his involvement by convincing his adopted mother, Marva, her droid B2 emo, I can only read it that way, and his friend Brasso to cover for him. Having a star path unit, a valuable piece of Imperial navigation technology, Cassian asks his friend Bix to connect him with a black market buyer. Bix agrees and contacts the buyer. Meanwhile, Bix's boyfriend, Tim, is suspicious of Andor. To improve his report of the Imperial authorities, uh, to improve his report to the Imperial authorities, Morlana One's chief inspector of security elects to cover up the murders. And there's a lot of, like, backroom dealing going on already. Mm-hmm. Like, it just kind of all sets the scene for, like, there's some seedy shit going on all the time. Yep, yep. And it's, it, this is, like, a, the classic hero's arc, though, where, like, you know, Aladdin almost comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, he's in this rough-and-tumble lifestyle, and he's doing shady shit, but, like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Exactly. Like, it's, yeah. it's about to ramp up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, however, his deputy, the dutiful Cyril Karn, is determined to solve the case. And that's such a, I mean, if there's ever a Cyril. Oh, God, the most Cyril of Cyrils. Even beats out Archer's Cyril. Like, <laughs> God, damn. <laughs> oh, I wish that Chris Parnell would have. That would have been fucking <laughs> Oh, my God, I agree. <laughs> he identifies Cassian's ship, traces it to Ferrix, and learns that the fugitive is from the planet Canari. In a flashback, a younger Cassian, known as Casa, joins a group of Canari who set off to locate a crashed ship. Casa rebuffs his younger sister's efforts to join the search, leaving her behind in their tribal encampment. So it, it kind of, like, sets the stage for this complex relationship that they have, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's still familial, but every person for themselves, because it's just, like, straight-up survival. Straight-up survival. Yeah, I mean, we're all orphans here, you know, that kind of a vibe. So the next few episodes kind of get into, you know, more context about, you know, Cassian's background and, you know, the buyer for him kind of negotiating his way out of this conundrum that he's found himself mm-hmm. into. Because he, he's not, like, down to murder. No. It's not like in the beginning of Rogue One where he's like, sorry, dog. Yeah. It just, like, pops this oh, yeah. fucking alley mm-hmm. is, like, tripping too hard. He's like, you can't be... Oh, yeah. rebellion. You just know too much to get yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's he, he's a far cry from the from that Cassian Andor at this point. Mm-hmm. He's still got some soft edges to him. Yeah, that's for sure. So I, I kind of do want to stop on episode five a little bit because, you know, it's it, it is a turning point episode. Mm-hmm. Cassian's a little bit of a loose cannon. You know, like he's amalgamated some survival skills. Oh, dude. Hell yeah. More Not only is this guy wearing a Stormtrooper uh, tank top that oh. says hashtag duty. Yeah. <laughs> He's also welded a bike frame on top of a bike frame. Yeah, that is the most Portland bike I've ever yeah. seen. Wow. Well, it reminds me of the one that's on Sandia uh, near near Arrowwood that has the lights on it. Yeah. Man, can't wait for that naked bike ride. Oh, yeah. It'll, it'll be back soon enough. Yep. 
I, I'm surprised there aren't more problems with that. Oh, yeah. I'm honestly surprised how every dick I see is soft. Like, yeah. That's never, I've never seen someone publicly erect, which I think is illegal, but I'm not 100%. If you can maintain being soft, mm-hmm. it is not lewd. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, how it should be. Are there, are there dick softening pills? I know that you can get dick hardening pills. I've heard of some um, sounds, but like depressants. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, episode five, no. Uh, <laughs> Cassian started thinking Zoloft. <laughs> you can't fuck anymore. <laughs> well, so speaking of the, the rebellion, if you will, like, or just kind of like the spy network. Mm-hmm. There within, uh, Tam Terramin trains Cassian and the other rebels for for a planned heist. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to get one over on the Imperial Garrison, right? Mm-hmm. So while traveling to Al- the Aldani Imperial Garrison, Cassian reveals that he is a mercenary. Vel decides to continue with the mission and holds off on dealing with Clem's past. I guess that's what he was kind of going as. Yeah, that was his alias. Which is, which is, I mean, Clem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm glad the 1950s farm names made it yeah. back in time a to the galaxy farm. There you go, and his accent's like, hello, I'm Glam. What? <laughs> <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> well, Imperial officer and double agent Lieutenant Gorn covertly aids the rebels. On Coruscant, Edie Card emasculates her son Cyril as he explores new career prospects. <laughs> which, I, I, that just comes with the name. Oh, yeah. I can expect some emasculation. Yeah, and Cyril's not going to get their masculinity affirmed. Never. <laughs> he, may, he may come across Alana every once in a while. Alana Fair, Kane. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. 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 But even yet, she was very much wearing the Uzis in that relationship. 100%. <laughs> he just had the massive dog. That was it. So, that's for sure. <laughs> Rocking a hammer, that one. <laughs> um, so, I love tie-ins. Mon Mothma, hell yeah, Big Bear Witch, mm-hmm. that's a bad one, mm-hmm. establishes a new charitable foundation while managing increasingly tense relations with her husband and daughter, which, you know, bad ladies always be juggling. Yeah, absolutely. Love a solid, you know, ostensibly a single mom. Yeah, I mean, basically, you're on a rebellion. Yes, her husband's a piece of shit, like, very... In, right? Yeah, very not with it, like, yeah. totally just like an aristocrat, spoiled, like... Is he a senator or some shit like that? Like, you know, I, um, and you kind of see this in, um, you kind of see this in Mandalorian season three mm. with the reintegration. Wow, where, yeah. you know, like the, the higher up, the oligarchies, the, you know, the, the rich of the rich are like, like the Jack Black, Black episode. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, they, well, shout out Jack Black and Lizzo, power couple Hell, in 2023. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but no, I mean more so like when they're on Coruscant and like the high society is like empire, new republic. Uh, what yeah. do I care? Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, that is how it feels. It's the real shit. Yeah. That is rich the real shit. Don't fucking care about politics outside of what they're controlling, you know? Mon Mothma's douchebag husband is certainly of that kind of ilk. I feel. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you can definitely tell that Mon Mothma still got some of that like bleeding heart. Like, no, we're here to help people. Aren't we? Like, what right. else are we doing? Yeah. I actually like, while it's not obviously action packed, Seeing Mon Mothma get built up as this, like, character, as this, like, real intellectual that could actually lead a resistance instead of just, like, this, you know, powerful-looking woman standing there at the head of a table. Like, you actually see her being cunning, making moves. Like, I feel like in this season, she's probably going to have to fucking kill somebody and, like, well, I don't know. So, oh, man. It's going to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. she's going to have to, like, extreme self-defense. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to wind her out and she's going to have to fucking, like wrestle him to the ground like you know like that scene in glorious bastards where von bismarck gets found out oh wow and the strangles her i'm yeah. seeing like a reversal of that where she fucking i don't know if it's cyril or whoever but i don't know that cyril and her path would ever really cross i don't i don't know if i'd want to see no that. but if somebody deserves to get choked out it's cyril yeah that's, yeah that's a fitting out <laughs> yeah absolutely getting choked out by a meek woman yeah yeah <laughs> But then, and it is her, is it her daughter that is with the rebels already? Or is it her, is that her sister? The blonde? I think that's her sister. Okay, yeah, that's her sister, right? But yeah, even then, seeing her family get, like, uh, built out a little bit too, like, that was really, really cool, like, character development and just world building for me as well. Yeah, love that stuff. So, meanwhile, um, 
Uh, hold on, whoops. So getting back to episode five, wrapping that up, ISB supervisor Blevin acquires a hotel as the new ISB headquarters on Ferrix. Meanwhile, his rival, meanwhile, his rival Miro and her assistant Hirt reach the conclusion that the rebels are conducting a series of coordinated heists of Imperial weapons and technology. Luthen anxiously awaits for a transmission from Vel and her rebel team. Also, love a Skarsgård. No, absolutely. He's so good. That guy. And particularly, like, having his, like, demeanor and vo- voice. It's yes. Like, ah, uh, ah. Uh, I love him as a morally ambiguous character, too. Because He was one like, of my favorite characters in uh, Thor and then the first Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he's, I mean, like, he's a great actor. Skarsgård's, you know, yeah, a great dynasty for sure. Mm-hmm. So Goodwill hunting. Yep. Girl oh, with yeah. the dragon tattoo. He was fucking terrifying. Hello. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the thing about him is, like, he's a scary dude, but he's also, like, the dude that's, like, pulling the strings, moving this resistance forward, and it's, I love that they put someone that, like, like, filthy at the head of something that's supposed to be, like, benevolent, you know, Um, I like, in the, in the rebellion, just kind of like, yeah, fucking, like, like the rich people were saying, Empire, Rebellion, or, like, in uh, episode uh, eight, uh, the Last Jedi, when they're like, uh, they find out that these weapons dealers are selling to like the Imperials and the Rebels, and it's like, no, no, it's fucking matters. It's like, yeah, yeah, like, those lines, keep learning them, because that's like Star Wars needs more of that shit, like more like complicated storytelling instead of this like Disney Marvelification of every fucking thing. Yeah, I, well, absolutely, and you know, this is probably one of the grittiest. Oh, I mean, the, yeah. the Mandalorian's really gritty, but this is, I mean, this is like going for like, this show has like HBO vibes. Like, for sure. Like, the Mandalorian is like gritty, but it's got like kind of like more of a John Wayne, like Western style, with very intentionally so, but also love that too. But like, that's not going to be as like down in the dirt as this kind of show. Like, this is really trying to like fucking make everybody complicated and make everybody look good and everyone look bad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so like I, uh, talking about context, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to sk- I don't want to hit every episode, but like episode eight, you see Saw Gerrera. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like uh, just that whole rebel faction as well, because like you see the extremism and yeah. fractioning between like this loose association yeah. groups and cells. Yeah. And it's just like, man, like I, I'm it re- it just really piques my nerd nerve. Oh, yeah. And seeing them like making decisions to sacrifice you know, more yeah. part of their movement, uh, like just openly just send them to the slaughter was just such a crazy like thing to see as far as like, yeah, this is what's necessary for rebellions like this to survive. Yeah. And that's why Luth- Luthen is like just a pure survivalist, like cutthroat monster. Yeah. it's like, if he was in the empire, like the rebels, I don't know. Oh dude. A, a Luthen in the empire may have turned the tide of things because he's just yeah. so organized and devious like and I, well i guess how much i does with what little he has yeah like if he had the resources of the entire fucking empire like, oh man dear i don't want to think about that <laughs> i'm talking like i live in that world <laughs> <laughs> well good writing makes you feel that way oh definitely i mean definitely he's, he's a he's a great character in the series for sure mm-hmm. so do you before i get into the last episode synopsis do you have a favorite episode like that really stands out to you honestly like it is going to be cliche, but like episode five and episode eight, but like episode five, because like, um, like it's one of my favorite things in Star Wars is like that fantastical spectacle, you know, seeing the Death Star blow up, um, you know, just shit like that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. And the eye on, uh, the, like they call it the eye, right? Right. What's the name of the planet again? Uh, hold on a second. Aldani. Aldani. Yeah. The eye on all over Aldani, like, one of the most spectacular things I think we'll ever see in the Star Wars universe. The fact that, like, you see from a distance, you get, like, this cultural heritage, like, information about it, and then they fucking fly through the thing. And that, like, that was a moment where I was like, I am so bummed I'm watching this on a TV screen right now. Like, this is cinematic. Like, do you think they'll ever release it in theaters? Like, I wouldn't know why they wouldn't. I would, I want to see, but that's the thing. 12 episodes at an hour, an hour roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like, I, I mean, Cinemagic right now is playing all nine or 50 of the Fast and Furious movies. And it's like, why why don't they do that with Andor, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is the May. Yeah. Although I don't it's know if Fast and Furious bought large tickets for TV. Sh- I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. 
fucking Disney needs to open that shit because it's like this this is such a spectacular show. I think it really would benefit from being on the big screen. Like it doesn't doesn't feel like it was made for TV sometimes. Truly. I, it, it's shot so cinematically that it feels like a long lead in to Rogue One. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me, I, I just, I'm being paranoid. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, good. <laughs> we have to start over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got something. <laughs> no. All right, let's touch on the last episode before kind of looking at what's in store for season two. Mm-hmm. Wrapping it up, Cassian returns to Ferrix for Marva's funeral and learns of Bix's imprisonment. That was a... That was a rough one. Real fast about yeah. Marva's funeral. Yeah. That, that shit made me cry. Like, yeah. that was so powerful and beautiful. Her words were so simple, but, like, the actress fucking crushes her role so hard that, like, when she when she's gone, like, you feel it in your soul. It's good TV. It's good writing. But seeing the town come together and seeing them on the precipice of that decision to rebel, mm. that, to me, is, like, the heart of what Andor is about. Like that, that person that's on the edge, that's like, could make a difference, but how are they going to choose to do that? And are they going to choose to do that? You know, and like Andor is obviously at the forefront of all that, but to see that town and Ferrex come together, like the dude just hammering away on the anvil, just like, oh God, that shit was just electric. Just amped, like ready. And seeing like the the Empire actually start to run scared, like that Imperial officer lady, you know? Fucking Cyril saves her, obviously. Fucking asshole, but the worst. (laughs) The worst. (laughs) Well, Deidre Miro and the local Imperial garrison prepare to use the funeral to capture Andor for for questioning regarding Axis. Hold on. To capture Andor for questioning regarding Axis, while Luthen... Sorry, really dry right now. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> While Luthen plans with Vel and Sinta's assistance to kill Cassian to keep Cassian from probably to keep Cassian from possibly divulging any secrets, which is a good move. Like that's hundred percent, hundred percent the move. Did make me hate losing in the moment, but when sure. you look back in the context, it's like no, that's like the kind of logical decision to be made here. And you can see where Cassian learns this kind of like decision making from his actions at the beginning of Rogue One yeah where he's just like yeah no bad like nobody's safe it's all about yeah it's all about moving the mission forward Mm -hmm. like if if no one's impervious to I don't care how badass you are yeah no one is impervious unless you are force sensitive Mm -hmm. to torture and interrogation yeah so he would have cracked eventually no matter what his convictions are exactly like we always saw happen to Bix like that was yeah God, the the explanation of those torture tactics, like, like, like it's the sound of an alien species, like infants being tortured. Is that what it is? Or like, like parents watching their kids get murdered? Like, it's that sound. Yeah, playing it directly into their head. Like, oh God, I would give up. I like, I can't imagine. Well, with with new technology, has always come new ways to <laughs> torture people. Yeah. So it comes as no surprise that like being able to. You're not hearing it. You are like, you're like, ex- you feel like you're thinking it. You're like, you're, oh, God, it's yeah. so fucked. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. So the ISP succeed in stopping Krieger's attack, but leave no prisoners angering Miro. Mothma's 13 year old daughter, Lita, is introduced to Davo Skulden's 14 year old son. <laughs> During the funeral, B2 email displays a recording of Marva, who rallies the populace to fight the Empire, creating a riot in the main quarter, which mm-hmm. is what you were just talking about. And it is a very powerful scene. Yeah, probably why that's actually 100% why it's one of my favorite episodes of the series. Yeah, for sure. And it's hard to not be a favorite episode because it wraps the series. So, yeah. like, it's kind of, like, obligatory. But mm-hmm. during the confusion, Cassian rescues Bix while Cyril Karn saves Miro from being attacked. Ah, Cyril. Fuck it. <laughs> Meeting with B2 Emo, Brasso, and several others at a shipyard, Cassian convinces them to take Bix somewhere safe away from Ferrex. Moved by the, re- moved by the rebellion on Ferrex, Luthen returns to his ship where Cassian is waiting, knowing that Luthen was there. Knowing that Luthen is there to assassinate him, Cassian offers Luthen the choice to either kill him or take him in, to which Luthen smiles. 
I think he takes them in. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think we know how that one ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a post-credit scene, droids assemble the machinery produced by the Narkina 5 prisoners on the firing dish of an Imperial superweapon. Mm-hmm. Love that little fucking... And little... It's just so good. He's building the pieces of the thing he's trying to destroy. Exactly. Make fucking poetry, man. God damn. It's so good. I also... We should also acknowledge those prison episodes because uh, those were fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. Like, oh man, um, Andy Circus. Oh yeah. And incredible. And it's like so good. Like, he helps engineer this whole escape and he gets there. He's like, I can't swim. And he knew he couldn't yeah. the whole fucking time. Yeah. No. That's, that's the sacrifice yeah. mentality. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I love Andy Circus. He, he's such a weirdly beautiful human. He really is. He's got like those buggy, he's like yeah. a Steve Buscemi. T- he's honestly, I think he's, I think he's way more attractive than yeah. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Definitely. Steve Buscemi's all teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, season two. Mm-hmm. The second season is planned to consist of 12 more episodes. Luna has recently elaborated on the differences between season one and where she did. Between season one and where Cassian is headed in season two, as he evolves into the rough, as he evolves into the roguish devil may care man that he is in Rogue One. Noting that, I think in the first season we see him trying to survive, and which is not, se- and which is not necessarily being part of something; it's reacting to it. But now, yeah, he has to learn. Fr- he has to learn a lot from Luthen and from others, and from other experiences, other events, in order to be that person we meet in Rogue One, which is very true. And I think that, you know, if the, with the writing in Season 1, the writing in Season 2 has to be on point, leaning into Rogue One. Yeah. Um, he also points out that in order to arrive at who he is in Rogue One, the man the Rebellion is willing to trust on securing the Death Star plans, he will have to go through a large transformation both personally and within the rebellion. So very true. Uh, definitely good insight. And I mean, I cannot fucking wait. Oh, yeah. No, like you said, I'm excited for this somehow even grittier version of Cassian. And I'm excited to see him like his identity just kind of meld with the rebellion. Well, I think it's a more purposeful grit. Yeah. Oh, it's, Dallas, it's not a, re- like you say, a reactionary. It's like, all right, let's fucking get it. Yeah. Like, let's, yeah, let's crack some fucking skulls. Like, you know, referencing Pedro Pascal again. What, The Last of Us, when Ellie's gone, it's like, no, I know I'm about dead, but I'm going to fucking murder every single one of you. Hell yeah. Uh, like that kind of emotion. John Wick's just like, yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, stoked on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. When does it come out? Is there a release? Is there, there's a release year of 2024. I'm sure they'll do it. You know, it'll probably be the summer blockbuster of 2024. First, you know, like, yeah, or maybe the spring. So we're still spring. Inside, or who knows? Or it could be like a post holiday thing. You know, just I wouldn't, in that. I wouldn't mind that either. Enter, yes. I'll try to do more shit in their time, you know? Yes. I feel like so many, again, that makes me feel better about Disney just like pump it out. It's like, yeah. no, like, Let's let it breathe. Like, we know it's a serial show, but, like, it doesn't need to come out every year. Again, HBO style. I, like, I fucking love the way they're approaching this whole thing. And I wish they would use this model for other Star Wars shit, but I have yet to see that. So, <laughs> Well, I, you know, I hope they do some sort of Luke from the point where he trains Ahsoka, kind of. Mm. And not trains her, but, like, encounters her mm. because Anakin trained her. Yeah. But, uh, and, and that whole, like, tie-in Mandalorian time frame leading into when the Knights of Ren are created. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That would be another fantastic series that I'm putting out there in the universe, and I hope that they do. So, 100% down with that. There's a lot more that can be done. I mean, 7 through 9 was straight up fucking money grab lip service mm-hmm. like but he's my favorite of the three but like yeah God. i mean i also just like fuck jj abrams dude well <laughs> I, I, okay, hold on i do i i got a little bit of love for jj abrams i do love the fringe tv series and he did all right with star trek that's true <laughs> i mean uh you know at the end of the day like they really fucked it with the whole exegol thing they shoehorn that in Man. so hard at the last third of the of the of episode nine. I'm just like, you fucking morons. Yep, absolutely fucking stupid. And now, like, I feel like they're wasting valuable time in the Mandalorian of all shows to build up to this Exegol bullshit that no one really cares about. On top of that, Palpatine is back somehow. Like, we, I, I don't know if you've seen that meme. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's like so weak. The fact that he like electrocutes an entire sky full of freighters and warships. Brings them all to the ground, but he can't get through Ray with two lightsabers. Like, 
How powerful is Palpatine? It's so inconsistent. Fucking bullshit. It's so It's also like episode seven, whatever. They basically remade a new hope. Episode eight, yeah. he basically was like, they did that, we're taking it in a different direction. And then episode nine, they're like, so he took it in a different direction. We're not going to go back to where we went. We're just going to shit on everything that he did. And then, like, there was nothing, nothing of importance in episode nine. I hated that one. Yes. Yeah. It was absolute trash. Absolute garbage. I just yeah. did uh, the Darth Plagueis novel uh-huh. with AJ Valentine, who I'm sure you remember. Yeah, absolutely. Now out in Austin. But we kicked off Star Wars Month with that. Talking about a nerd for context, you should check that out because yeah. it talks about Sidious's master, Plagueis, mm-hmm. which you only really hear about during episode three. Episode three. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was a super uh, awesome one. And I think Acolyte is going to feature Plagueis as well because it's set a hundred years before all of this takes place all right fuck. so acolyte definitely uh peeping on that that should be excellent writing because it's kind of like old not old republic because that's a thousand years before mm-hmm. i think maybe i'm conflating the two but at any rate yeah. check it out it's coming out um <laughs> so ross speaking of things that are coming out besides you uh what is your <laughs> comedy schedule what's comedy schedule uh so yeah like i said most importantly may 27th this month we got funny jazz talk at fun house 10 p.m 10 dollar tickets at the door uh or sorry yeah that's how we're doing it <laughs> okay uh what else do i got i got uh another storytelling show at the siren on the 28th awesome uh i believe that's a new show starting up it's like a lesbian storytelling show uh i am not a lesbian but i am bisexual so uh, you know happy to be included and outside of that yeah i also have a show a monthly showcase at fourth wall every second friday of the month at seven fourth wall theater it's a real small lovely local joint easy to pack out and we have a great time every time definitely have some awesome comics and there's unlimited cereal after you buy the first bowl so that's so true man i have put myself into a pre-diabetic stupor plenty of time <laughs> with those fruit bowls well i just mix them all up and uh, I'm pop out. take a ride yeah <laughs> well definitely check those out at sauce underscore haggard we're coming for you at Sauce Packet. One word, you piece of shit. I'm a piece of shit. And he's not, a, he doesn't do anything. He's just a guy. We're a waste. Seriously, right? Well, we're coming for you. Hey, <laughs> no, thanks for hanging out with me and talking Andor. It's been awesome. Let's go do this Montevilla mic. Also, shout out Lucas Cobb. Happy birthday, Happy buddy. Happy birthday, Lucas. Happy yeah. birthday to you. I'm going to roast the absolute shit out of you. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, let's do it. <laughs>